I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Our lesson is from Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the God for the people of God.
been blessed this morning in worship. I hope you have too. Uh, My spirit is full this morning. When Pastor Corrine asked me to preach on do good, number two of Wesley's simple rules, two thoughts immediately popped into my mind. The first thing was that doing good is really not all that simple. I mean, I'm not always inclined to do good, are you? How much good is good enough? And what does good mean anyway? It's it's sort of like asking, what is the loving thing to do? And that's not always easy to figure out. What is the good thing to do in any given situation? What is the good thing for me to do? It seems to me that this rule is really more complex than it is simple. But for Wesley, the definition of doing good was quite specific. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. The second thing that came immediately to mind with Pastor Corrine's request was a memory, a vivid memory, to be sure. In her teaching days, my mother developed the habit of sending her students off at the end of the day with the saying, now you be good. And after she retired, that habit was extended not only to her children and grandchildren, but to other friends and acquaintances (coughs) and even random strangers that she might have engaged in conversation while eating at a restaurant or shopping at Meijer or traveling to some historic site. As time went on, her farewell, now you be good, was accompanied with the pointing of her index finger directly at your nose, as in, now you be good. Well, I must say that as a 40- and 50-year-old adult, I didn't appreciate this very much when it was directed at me, especially. But it had become a ritual with my mother, and by that time, she rather enjoyed or maybe was oblivious to the reaction that she got, whether it was positive or negative. I wonder, for Wesley... Was being good the same as doing good? Would there have been any difference in my mother's admonition if she had said, now you do good? In what ways is being good and doing good related? Well, as we begin to think about these questions, let's go back about 200 years before John Wesley, to the 1500s, the time of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther. Martin Luther had a bone to pick with the compilers of the writings that were ultimately selected to be included in the New Testament as we have it today. More specifically, he had a bone to pick with the author of the letter of James and the emphasis that James placed on good works. Luther, of course, emphasized faith. Only faith was necessary for salvation through Christ. 
It was probably a matter of emphasis more than it was a theological disagreement, but Luther bristled at James' words recorded in chapter 2, verse 24 and 26. You see, a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. Faith without works is dead. Luther often referred to James as the epistle of straw. But James' emphasis is an important one for us because it stops us from thinking that what we do doesn't matter so long as we just believe the right thing. In fact, it matters very much what we do. Now, I'm not a Wesley scholar, but it seems to me that John Wesley took a more balanced approach. His understanding of God's grace, his understanding of faith in and through Jesus Christ, and his understanding of what it means to do good works are all connected, part and parcel, with his understanding of who God is and who we are called to be in relationship to God. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul pulls this all together in one of his more succinct statements. Let me read this to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Wow. Now that's quite a statement. Of course, Paul is talking here to the church, followers of Jesus, but let's personalize this for a moment and read it again, out loud, together. It's up on the screen for you. Let's read together. For by grace I have been saved through faith, and this is not my own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that I may boast. For I am what he has made me, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be my way of life. Wesley's reason for doing good, for doing good works, is connected to his understanding of God's grace. Because of God's grace, we have received the gift of salvation. We didn't pay for it. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it in any way. Salvation, this freedom in Christ, is a gift. And our natural response to God's love and grace, our natural response to this gift of salvation is faithful discipleship. We love God and we love others. And this love is an active love. In fact, it is proactive. We don't wait to be asked. We keep our eyes open for needs evident among us. And having seen, we take action to care for that need. This proactive love is embodied in what Wesley calls works of mercy. 
Doing good, therefore, is not a means of salvation, but a natural outgrowth of God's love and grace in our lives. And all this is God's purpose for us. We were created for this. We were created to do good works. This is our life. This is the life of greatest joy and fulfillment. It is not simply something we were our duty bound to do, as in payment for a gift that we have been given, for then it would have been no gift at all. But doing good is good for the doer. Doing good is good. Uh, doing good is good for the doer, and in doing good, we are able to experience life in all its abundance. Life at its absolute best. John Wesley's greatest joy was preaching the gospel of God's love. When, and when he saw people in need, he knew that their suffering must be addressed before the good news would have any meaning. Though he often preached out in open fields and marketplaces, he was intentional about visiting the poor because he got to know the poor by spending time with them. He became aware of the needs that they were experiencing, and along with members of class meetings, he took up collections of money and food, fuel, clothing to be distributed. Wesley's work went beyond charity. Wanting to help the poor help themselves, he organized health clinics and cooperatives and credit unions. He believed that education was important for children and adults. He sought to make the welfare of the poor the criterion of every aspect of the Methodist movement. He even had the poor in mind when building meeting places. Wesley writes, Let all preaching houses be built plain and decent, but not more expensive than is absolutely unavoidable. Otherwise, the necessity of raising money will make rich men necessary to us. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Today, we tend to think of stewardship as supporting the church budget. But Wesley believed we are to be stewards for God and for the poor. He understood that everything we have is a gift from God and that anything that is surplus is to be given to the poor. I credit the United Methodist pastor, Reverend Jean Finely, for these observations about John Wesley. And so we have not only in the teaching and preaching of John Wesley, but in the works of his hands, a definition and a demonstration of life lived according to rule number two, do good. And in his New Testament notes, Wesley counters Martin Luther's criticism of the letter of James by saying, works do not give life to faith, but faith begets work and then is perfected by them. For grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I think it's relatively easy for us to think of doing good in this kind of organizational sense. Our congregation has done a lot of good and does a lot of good. It's part of who we are and why we have remained in this location downtown. Over the years, we have identified needs in our community and we have organized to meet those needs. And most of us have volunteered time and money and talents to help accomplish the good work we have set out to do. But while Wesley was primarily focused on these kinds of good works when he thought in terms of his three simple rules, there is another more personal aspect of doing good that perhaps collapses that distinction between being good and doing good. The Romans passage that Kay read for us earlier in the service hints at this blending of the two. I believe it is good, I believe it's true, that you can do good things and not be good. But you certainly cannot be good without doing good. And so I think beyond institutional and organizational practices, we are called to personal account as we think about the practice of doing good. We are called to be more personal. We are called to more personal and relational ways of being good to one another in our homes, in our community, and also toward those who would do us harm. I'm sure Wesley would agree. Shane Claiborne and Chris Haw in their challenging book, Jesus for President, tells this story. A couple of our friends, Darren and Megan, grew to love an elderly lady named Gwyn, whom they had met in the projects of Omaha. Gwyn was afflicted with Alzheimer's and had no friends or family to care for her. As the government began to tear down affordable housing, Darren and Megan were faced with a difficult question. What is going to happen to Gwyn? As they prayed and struggled, they tried everything they could think of to help Gwyn live independently for as long as possible as she wished. It started out with simple things, such as having meals together and doing her laundry while they talked. It progressed to helping her bathe at her home, setting up her daily medication for her and taking her to appointments and managing her financial affairs. After a lot of work, it became clear that it was no longer the best option for Gwyn to live on her own. Darren and Megan took part in the tough decision to help her move from independent living to a county nursing home. As Megan cleared out Gwyn's apartment, she came across an old weathered three-by-five card that read, Don't put me in a nursing home. Signed in small print, Guinevere G. Collins. Darren and and Megan wrestled with what it meant to be family to Gwyn, who had no other kids and never married. Eventually, 
They became the answer to their own prayers, adopting Gwyn. Now they have lived together for more than four years. It isn't always easy. Gwyn's sickness has gotten much worse. She's a wild and eccentric old diva. She used to be an aspiring actress. And so every moment is an adventure as she tries to remember where she is. Every hour she asks, is this the Alps? Is this England? Sometimes Darren and Meigs will let her choose her adventure for the day or the hour. They have helped her find ways to continue to paint and make art, and she makes them smile, and she tells dirty jokes and looks for her boyfriends and does her little booty shake boogie when she gets excited. A little while back, Darren and Meigs had a child, and now Gwyn comes to life as she holds little Justice. Darren and Megan and Justice will help Gwyn make the transition from this world with a smile on her face and her family around her. Well, I have a very personal reason for being moved by this story. And it causes me to wonder, what is it that holds me back from fully living into the being good part of my life that God has created and gifted me for. In all the big and little ways of being good and doing good in our lives, what is it that makes us hesitate? What is it that feeds our doubts and causes us to turn aside We all face our own specific challenges in this area. By doing good, but doing good often means that we must give up control. And if we're honest, most of us want to be in control. And then there's that uncomfortable question, what more might be demanded of me tomorrow if I give myself away today? I have to take care of myself or I can't be good to anyone. Isn't that right? What if the good I do is misused, wasted, misunderstood, rejected? In doing good, what are the boundaries that are important for us to remember? What is the balance that must be maintained in life I wonder if Jesus thought about boundaries and balance. It's not a simple thing, this business of doing good. The business of sharing with those in need and practicing hospitality and doing right in the eyes of everyone. It's not a simple thing, this business of being good of living in peace and harmony with one another and associating with people of low position and not thinking too highly of ourselves and being devoted, devoted to one another in love. The obstacles are always getting in the way, especially when it comes to those persons who are not like us and who would do us harm. Romans 12 cuts to the core of our daily lives doesn't it? It can be overwhelming. Well, let's be honest. It is 
overwhelming. If we care at all about being a faithful follower of Jesus and we care at all about others in the world. So how do we decide what good works are God's plan for us? Those day-to-day and moment-to-moment plans of our ordinary lives and those plans that are organizational that will be incorporated in this congregation's vision for the future. One of our church fathers, Ignatius of Loyola, wrote something long ago that perhaps gives us a place to begin, even today. This is what he wrote. The love which moves me and makes me choose something has to descend from above, from the love of God. Let me say that again. The love which moves me and makes me choose something has to descend from above, from the love of God. Love is our motivation whenever it comes to being and doing good. And not just any love, but the love which comes from God and fills us and spills out into the world. It is that love, when nurtured in our lives, that makes it clear and makes the choice for us. It's out of that love that we act with goodness toward others in the world. It is out of that kind of love that we can be truly good. This love of God is God's gift to us. But it has to be nurtured in order to be understood and lived out rightly. It reminds me of what Jesus said when teaching his disciples one day. Jesus was clear when he said, I only do what my Father tells me to do. God is love. It could be said then, I only do what love tells me to do. But that relationship with love must be nurtured. We must spend time with love, as Jesus did in solitude on the mountain praying, in company with the people of God in the synagogue, by responding faithfully and with courage to what God has called us to do. And God will tell us what the good thing to do is. And over time, those good works that we are called to do will just naturally spill out without thought in the living of our lives. We may even hear the grateful words from someone, thank you, you are a good person. There's just one more aspect of our consideration today that I think is important to raise. The Apostle Paul's theology of the cross has everything to do with our motivation for doing good. God sent God's Son Jesus into the world to bring about our salvation. God came to defeat evil. And this was not achieved by using force or power or some greater evil. God defeated evil by using its opposite, the counterintuitive weapon of goodness. 
Yes, there is evil out there in the world, no question. No one would disagree. We see it in the starving faces and swollen bellies of children. We see it in the disenfranchisement of the poor and the uneducated. We see it in the ever-increasing gap between the rich and the poor. We see it in bombed-out homes and cities. We see it in human trafficking. And evil also exists in places we do not see so clearly. What was God's answer to this evil? The answer was Jesus, who went about doing good and who gave himself up to defeat the power of evil in the world. God's people are to meet it in the same way that even God met the face of evil with love and generous goodness. For that is the only way in which evil will be overcome. Paul writes at the end of our lesson this morning, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we want a reason for doing good, this is it. Doing good is good for the receiver. Doing good is good for the doer. And doing good will overcome evil in our world. It's not simple. But doing good makes all the difference. Let me summarize what I have said this morning in one sentence. It is God's grace that enables me to do good. And the good I do will transform my community. Will you say that after me? It is God's grace that enables me to do good. And the good I do will transform my community. Let us pray. Holy God, open our eyes that we may see what good needs doing. Open our imaginations that we may figure out what good we can do. And open our hearts to your empowering love that we may have the courage to act. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.